Hi, friends. I'm Bonnie Keen. And I'm Nan Gurley. Pull up a chair and join us for a kitchen table conversation. We'd like to invite you to explore the lives of the women of the Bible. We know we're going to find encouragement and the faith we need to keep going. And there's always a place at the table for you. Here we go. The following episode of Women Who Dare to Believe was recorded in the summer of 2020. But we think you'll find this story to be relevant, timeless, and powerful in speaking to where we live today. Also, a quick reminder, if you'd like to purchase a copy of our Women Who Dare to Believe Bible Studies, you can reach us at our Facebook page or at womenwhodaretobelieve.com. Hey, I'm Nan Gurley. I'm Bonnie Keene. Welcome, Welcome to, to Women, Women Who Dare to Believe. Believe. We're so glad you found us in the vast ocean of podcasts. Grab your tiara, ladies, because today we're going to take a look at the life of Queen Esther. We are fascinated with women of faith who stood against the odds, trusted God, and lived victoriously. Yes, we are. And we <laughs> wrote the musical, Women Who Dare to Believe, and a Bible study based on these women's lives. In the musical, we portray 21 different women from Scripture. And we spent so much time in the Bible researching these women in order to write a good script. And we got so excited about what we were learning that we decided to write a Bible study to go along with the musical. And that was then, that was over 10 years ago, right. and it's now 2020. So times are changing oh, a no bit. Kidding. <laughs> what do you do during a worldwide pandemic of some kind? And you're I don't kind know, of locked Ron. in. So Nan and I thought, let's start a Women Who Dare to Believe podcast. Why not? It seemed like a great idea. This is our very first one, and we are so excited to go through these lives of these women with you. So welcome, welcome, welcome. For every podcast, we're going to look at a different woman in Scripture and see if we can, dis- can discover just like what made her tick and unusual and why her story is included in the Bible and how it matters to us as women living now. So today we're going to look at the life of Queen Esther. And we want you to go deep with us into the lives of God's women in Scripture. These women are not dusty icons on the shelf. These are flesh and blood women just like us. And Bon and I need encouragement right now, and yeah. we figure you do too. So yeah, are you ready? Absolutely. Let's yes. go deep. Let's do it. We're looking at Esther <clears throat> the Queen today. Now, Bonnie, I've got a question for you. What? <laughs> if we could get our hands on a daily newspaper from the days of Esther, it might read something like this. Headline, The Persian Pulse, National Beauty Contest to be Held in Persia. Reporting from Sushan Capital, Court of King Xerxes. Citizens in the Persian capital woke this morning to news of a national search for a new queen of Persia. This follows a humiliating scene at the recent 180-day banquet hosted by King Xerxes. <laughs> when Queen Vashti refused to parade before the royal officials and military leaders, Xerxes sent his queen into exile and declared he'd find another. <laughs> the national search for her re- replacement begins immediately. King Xerxes released a formal statement. I wear the robe in this household, and if Vashti won't obey me, I'll find someone who will. 
Let it be known that all beautiful young virgins from all 127 provinces are eligible. The one who pleases me most will be my new queen. Interviews will begin immediately. All contestants will need a current headshot and resume. There will be swimsuit competition. No talent category required. <laughs> no, That's I, from our Bible study. I don't think Xerxes That's, was interested in talent. Not at all. All right. <clears throat> Enter the world of Esther. It's 480 BC in Babylon. Now, that would be our modern day Iran. Okay. Right. Now, right. okay, we have to ask the question, who is in charge in Esther's world? A king named Xerxes. Xerxes. He rules what is called the Medo-Persian Empire. It's vast, Bon. It's made up of 127 provinces. It covers more than 2.9 million square miles and stretches from Asia to Africa to Europe. That's much bigger than I pictured it in my mind. Oh, I know. Yeah. It spreads as far east as India as far west as Greece, it's Whoa. estimated 50 million people lived under the control of the Persian Empire, okay? That's now, a lot of virgins to choose from. Oh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. it is. And Esther is a Jewish orphan being raised by her cousin Mordecai in Susa, the capital of this empire. Now, all right, let's get ourselves uh, in, in the timeline of history. The 70-year captivity of the Jews in Babylon is over. And some Jews have chosen to go back to the promised land and rebuild Jerusalem. Some Jews have chosen to stay in Babylon and the neighboring provinces where they've built homes and businesses. Right. Esther and her cousin Mordecai are among those choosing to stay where they are. Now, who is Xerxes? This is very interesting to me. Yes, he is a raging narcissist with an <laughs> oversized ego. He lives for the purpose of satisfying his every desire. But Queen Vashti made him furious by refusing his request that she put on her crown and parade in front of his friends at one of his banquets. Now, listen, some commentaries say that it's likely she was commanded to parade around in nothing but her crown. What? So good for you, Vashti. Good for you, Vashti. So Jerxes, <laughs> we like to call him Jerxes, dethrones her and kicks her out and decides to hold auditions for a new queen. He sounds so... Uh... Awful. Awful. So our story begins with Esther and this national search for a new queen in Persia. Now, who is Esther? Let's take a realistic look at who she is, not some Hollywood portrayal of what we've seen before. But let's look at what it was like to be a young woman in her time and in her shoes. The Bible tells us that she was described as beautiful in form and face. She's a young teenager. She is a virgin. Now, her parents were killed when she was little, and she was adopted and raised by her cousin, Mordecai. So I like picturing this lovely young girl full of dreams. She's safe, right? Yeah. She's got this wonderful, nurturing cousin. She's probably dreaming about marrying a nice Jewish boy and someday having a family of her own. That would have been her future. She's living as part of a Jewish minority in an idol-worshiping culture, as you described, a massive amount of land there. Um, so in the middle of all this, she would be taken from her safe home, from Mordecai, by one of the king's beauty scouts, mm. thrown into a harem, and forced into a beauty contest. Okay, so Xerxes made it clear, only unmarried virgins need apply. <laughs> As if they would want to. Can you imagine that audition notice? No. Unmarried, Unmarried virgins, virgins are the only ones who need apply for this contest, which meant 
They were what we would consider children, yes, minors. They were. Yes, they were. He evidently liked them young and fresh, and these Oof. girls would have been around 15 years old. Now, you know what? This feels like human trafficking to me. It is the, human trafficking. It is. The girls had no choice in this situation. They were forced to become sex toys. Yeah. So uh, let's picture how Esther feels now. She's leaving the safety of her cousin's home. And how alone she would have felt when taken into yes. the power of the reigning government. Everything that's about to happen to her and her survival depend on her ability to maintain her identity. I love this part of the story. I do, this too. This undercurrent of, of her of her steadiness and who she was. Yes. You know? Yes. Mordecai has equipped her. Yes. And raised her. And we're going to see this as the story unfolds. But... Who she knows herself to be in God's eyes and her faith that she's part of God's chosen people, this is what's going to carry her through this bizarre experience. Totally bizarre. Yeah. Absolutely. So before Esther leaves for the palace, Nan and I like to kind of imagine a conversation that might have happened between Mordecai and Esther. Esther knows this this takes all the romance out of whatever movie you might have seen. Yeah. She knows that no matter what happens, she can never go back home to Mordecai again. Right. So we think Mordecai might have encouraged Esther a little bit like this. Yes. This little scene we're going to read to you from our Bible study shows the importance of your name. Esther? Yes, Cousin Mordecai? Your real name, your Hebrew name is Hadassah. Hadassah? Like the myrtle? Yes, my dear. I like my real name. So do I, my sweet. But here in Persia, you will be called Esther, named after the Persian goddess Ishtar. But I don't want to be named after a Persian goddess. I know, my dear. Please, understand your Hebrew name is your true identity. But living here, in a foreign culture, we must use a name others will recognize. What does Esther mean? Your name here in Persia means star. God promised to bless his people and multiply us as the stars of the heavens. You are one of his stars. Never forget this. No one can take away who you are and where you've come from. So, here you are, part of Israel's sky, God's beautiful star. I love that. God's beautiful star. That's what her name means. Yeah. Yeah. Mordecai equipped her to go into this. And she remembered that. She did. So, okay, let's stop a second and think about what this has cost Esther. Yes. We are not going to get any takeaways from this story unless we look very realistically at what Esther had to grieve. Yes. Now, she knows that even if she's not picked to be the queen, she is doomed to live the rest of her life as a concubine in King Xerxes' harem. Yeah, this is one of the most interesting things that we really studied in looking at her life to me, because in looking at this little snapshot of Xerxes' bio, let's look at what she was really up against. Okay. Um, good old King Xerxes, there is nothing romantic going on with him. Mm-hmm. He was known for his drinking, his lavish banquets, his harsh temper, and his sexual appetite. There's okay. his bio right there. There you go. He was not loved or respected by the people who worked for him and was later in his life assassinated by the head of his bodyguard. Well, that tells you Doesn't a lot. Doesn't he sound wonderful? So the talent contest for the new queen would have been one night with this crazy man. 
one chance to impress him, and if she was not chosen, she would spend the rest of her life in the harem and would see the king only maybe if he called her in again. You talk about pressure one night. One night with someone like that. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, her freedom is essentially gone. That's why it feels like a sex trafficking, human trafficking kind of scenario. So, okay, so her dreams for her future were over. And winning the contest meant she would be at the mercy of a crazy man's power over her. He called all the shots. This was not a life of marital companionship and bliss between soulmates. She'd be his arm candy, his sex toy, constantly at his beck and call. And there's nothing Hollywood glamorous about this. Her life would consist of taking a lot of baths, wearing a lot of nice clothes, (laughs) and attending a few dinners of state. So, enter this no-win contest. (laughs) How did the virgins prepare for their contest on the royal runway? Oh, my. Preparation included spa treatments for 12 months while living... Okay, this is not what we're thinking of, ladies, like with, you know, a quiet room by yourself or whatever. These are spa treatments for 12 months with other teenage girls from 127 provinces. Oh, okay. They had to all be homesick for their mothers and nervous about this night with the king I'm audition. Sure they, were. they probably would have been competing against each other. So if you could only imagine like that hormonal moment, you know, with all these young girls, uh, the tension and the catfighting while being groomed for King Xerxes. According to the treatment guidelines, the girls already had to be very young and beautiful. Now they had to be even more beautiful. Twelve months of being more beautiful. Mm-hmm. Six months, get a, get a lot of this. <laughs> Having a fresh face was not enough for him. You had to prepare for what he wanted. So this, I can't wrap my mind around this. Six months of treatments with oil and myrrh and some kind of skin treatment. Okay. Okay, six months. Then six months of spices and cosmetics. Six months. That's so that's a, a whole year. year. That's, that's a whole a year. year. So what was this process? I mean, were, were their eyes tattooed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet they I were. Mean, honestly, if anybody listening is a history buff and you know something about what this kind of spa treatment for a year would be like, <laughs> would you please post that on our Women Who Dare to Believe Facebook page? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, one commentary we found said, Life in the harem was highly regulated in the palace. Elaborate preparations for this contest were in keeping with the other excesses of the court. Oh, yeah. So to win this nightmare contest, you had to win the favor of this madman. Okay, and let's also remember that there were several eunuchs. Yes, I was thinking about that. In charge of the spa treatments for these girls. Now, the reason, Bon, do you know why they had to be eunuchs? Well, because the girls were... Well, King Jerxes didn't want any competition. Oh, right. Right. Jerseys. <laughs> okay. All right. It so, kind of sounds like getting ready for the Hunger Games or something. Oh, you yeah, know what I yeah, mean? It does. In yeah. a strange way. So how do you impress an egomaniac sex addict who has power over your life? <laughs> Depending on his level of sobriety that night, remember he loves the booze, he might not even remember you were there. And in our culture, what happened in this process would be considered rape of a minor. Yes. So how did Esther feel? As she anticipated her night. Beautiful star. Yeah, Yeah. our beautiful star. How did she feel uh, anticipating her night with Xerxes? During her one night with the king, she would lose her virginity to someone she did not love. 
This was not her dream as a girl growing up in Mordecai's house. She would not be able to give the gift of her virginity to her beloved husband. Instead, she would share intimacy with a pagan, uncircumcised, dangerous man. And she cannot show her true feelings in this moment. These are all losses Esther had to grieve. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible doesn't say anything about her private thoughts and feelings, but good night. Yeah. That's Any a lot. woman could could picture this and and have huge sympathy for this girl. Somehow, when Esther appeared before Xerxes, she found favor. That phrase, it is fascinating. That phrase is used of her over and over in the book. Mm-hmm. She found favor, favor with the head eunuch. Yep. She found favor everywhere she went, and. Guess what? She won the contest, and she's crowned queen of, queen Persia. of Persia. At what? what? Maybe she was 15. 15, 16 years old. Um, it's just unbelievable. I mean, we, we imagine that Esther did not go into the king that night angry. Or for me, I would have been crying. Yeah, yeah. Um, she couldn't have been whining or pouting or begging for anything because she found favor with him. She must have been at peace and full of strength when she was in his presence. Yeah. Like some kind of real... Um, Je ne sais quoi. Yeah. Some kind of real substance to this girl, <laughs> to this young lady. Yeah. Something about her caught his favor because she did not live in fear. That's what we really want to talk about today in looking at her, especially in 2020. Well, he was used to having people cower, cower in and front afraid. of him. Yeah. She evidently didn't do that. She evidently knew who she was in spite of him. Right. Yeah. She walked in with confidence. She didn't give him access to her disappointment. She didn't let him really in in deep. Uh, Her grief. She didn't wear her identity on her sleeve. She had an inner strength and a poise that caused her to find favor, like you said, wherever she was and with this crazy man. Right. And and this was a man obsessed with power and controlled by pride. And what he saw in Esther must have been beauty combined with something he could not explain. That's what I love to think about. I know he, he didn't. He wasn't used to being around a woman who knew the Lord. No, who knew Yahweh. And and this is what made her so appealing. She didn't need anything from him. She knew who she was. She was God's woman, in spite of her circumstance circumstances, and in spite of whether or not the king chose her. her. Yeah, and, yeah. And we think this is what brought her favor, not only with the king but everyone else in the palace. Yeah, and I mean, how does this apply to us, to you and me, and, and our listeners? How does her story right now in this moment apply to us? Um, I, I just believe our identity in God is the only thing any of us really needs to define who we are as right. women. His is the only voice that can define who I am, who you are, who you are, listeners, who you are as a human being. He made you. He put you together exactly the way you are. Esther knew God. She knew God would have the final word in every aspect of her life. That's huge. Yes. I mean, this was her hour. This was her testing hour. She was surrounded by circumstances out of her control, just like we are right now. That's how it feels to me so much right now. There's so much that's completely out of our control. Um, She chose faith. She exercised those muscles like those (laughs) little girls talked about. When she could have chosen fear, she chose faith. Things were out of her control, but she knew God was bigger than this weird palace and this crazy madman and all of her circumstances. This is the theme of Esther's life, a woman choosing faith over fear in spite of what looks like overwhelming limitations. Yeah. Isn't that the best? Yeah. So Esther wins this contest, and now she's queen of Persia. 
And all this time, while Esther is going through the, the months of being put, you know, slathered with oil or whatever <laughs> and all of this, winning this contest and learning how to be queen, her cousin Mordecai would have been pacing back and forth, as the word tells us, at the king's gate, wondering how his beloved Hadassah was faring. Oh, this was so hard on yes. Mordecai. So, okay, uh, enter another egomaniac. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> It's Xerxes' right-hand man, a bad guy Mm -hmm. named Haman. Mm -hmm. Now, Haman becomes infuriated with Mordecai, who will not bow down to him when he comes in and out of the king's court. Boy. (laughs) So after Mordecai explains to Haman that he will not bow down to him because he is a Jew and will only bow down to Yahweh, Haman is enraged and anti-Semitism rears its ugly head. Yes. Haman, yet again. <laughs> yeah, yet again. Haman convinces King Xerxes that he should make an official government edict to kill all Jews because they won't bow to any god but Yahweh. So now we've got two madmen deciding that this is a good plan for Persia. <laughs> well, and it's, it's just double the odds against Esther, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Mordecai gets this news to Esther and he begs Esther to go before Xerxes and to spare the lives of their people. He, he said, go before him, beg for our lives. So sweet Esther is trying to explain to Mordecai what life <laughs> in the palace is like. Nobody goes to the king without an invitation, or it's off with your head. <laughs> and Mordecai doesn't know, she I mean, Xerxes doesn't know that Esther is a Jew. And so what's she supposed to do with this? Yeah. So Mordecai sends back Esther, don't think you're safe for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So when she gets this word from Mordecai going, you know, nobody's safe. Listen to this exact reply that Mordecai said to her uh, when she goes, I can't, you know, he hasn't summoned me. This is from Esther chapter four, verse 14. Mordecai sends word back to her through a eunuch, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) He said, if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. I love that. Um, just It just crossed my mind listening to you say that. He spoke absolute truth to her. He, he talked about the severity of where she was. Yeah. He did not sugarcoat it. Yep, this is bad. You know, yeah, you could probably you could die, but if you don't do this, somebody else will. And yeah. how do you know? Then incredible hope on the heels of that. How do you not know that this is what you were born to do? Yes, you know what I mean. Like that's probably how she was raised. This is truth. This is reality. But God is going to do something with your life. Good like, point. What an interesting thing to see in him. Well, and he also declared in this reply, when he, like you said, when he said, relief and deliverance will arise will from so much somewhere. Hope. Yeah. Uh, it's like he knew Yahweh. A man of immense confidence in God. Immense. That's because that's what we see in her. Absolutely. So once again, at this point, Esther has to face this terrible decision again. But she sends back the message. She knows this. She sends back the message to Mordecai. If I perish, I perish. What did she mean by that? If I die, I die. Meaning, uh, meaning like what? If God called me to this moment because you're saying deliverance and deliverance will, co- deliverance will come from somebody else and my father's house. If God called me to walk into that moment, that's the hill I die on. She was ready to die. She was then. ready to die. If I die, I die. If he kills me. If I go if in. If he kills mm-hmm. me then that's okay. 
And she was 15, 15 16, 16 years who knows? old. So she called, this just gives us such insight into her. She called all of the Jews to pray and fast, and then she took and took action. I mean, she made a specific plan yeah. about how she was going to do this. She thought it through. Yeah, and, and her plan is to pray and fast. Now, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so the, what, the, what's the, the takeaway for us? Yeah, the people well, of God were praying people. and I wonder how long it took Mordecai to get the message out to the I Jews. I don't know. Maybe, maybe where, he, where they were. You well, know, maybe they he scattered got, throughout Well, they were. Provinces? They were scattered throughout, but maybe he got the word just to the Jews in Susa. In maybe the capital, so. who knows? Because it seems like it happened pretty, pretty quickly. quickly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and they, they prayed and fasted, what, for three days, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, three days. And drinking no water right. and no food. Right. They were on their faces. On their faces. In prayer. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's so the many The Bible takeaways. is so dramatic and interesting yes. and fantastic. Okay, we got to go to the book, girls. We, <laughs> we got to go to the book to see how the story ends. But we will tell you this. She did go before the king to intercede for her people. And there's a party every year now, <laughs> even today, thrown in her honor, celebrating her courage. Um, it's called the Feast of Purim. And Jews celebrate it even now. And what you'll see when you read the book of Esther, is how the sovereignty of God guided her steps as he used her to save her people. Time after time after time in the story, you're going to see how God divinely orchestrated little events, little details and circumstances in this story that, you know, that you would say, oh, well, that was just uh, coincidence. No, there are no coincidences in this story. He orchestrated events to fulfill every one of his purposes. Yeah, it makes me think that um, there's no small moment. No, no. You know, we just have no idea what God sees and uses, and especially when it looks impossible. The, those are the Super Bowls it, for God. The, they, what they we call... Like, like when every odd is stacked against you and it's just forget it. Yeah. That's what God seems to want to go. Look at what I can do. You know? That's right. It's, it's just that, amazing. It's that winning touchdown in the last second of yeah. the Super Bowl that God yeah. loves a guy. Hey, watch yeah. this. Yes. When you think all is lost. When you think all is lost. So all of us <laughs> face moments like that. Yeah. Um, and it makes me just want to ask myself, what's the hill I'm willing to die on? What am I willing to step out into? You have to ask yourself that before you face it. You do have to think it through. Like, she's a great example of think through, pray fast, ask God what he would have you do. And then in that faith, step into that place that yes, that's worth everything for him. You have to decide right yeah. now when you're not being tested right, what you will never compromise. We are being tested right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. We don't know what that's going to look like moving forward. Right. But it's a time for us all to really sit with that question. And ask, what will I yeah. not compromise yeah. What would I die for? What would I die for? What's that hill? I mean, are you daring to believe? Oh, I love daring to believe in our title yes. that God gave us. <clears throat> are you and I, are we daring to believe God in spite of what we're going through? Whatever that looks like right now. Uh, losing income. Right. Uh, so many dreams seem to have been derailed for young students and for families. Yeah. Um, in spite of everything right now, where are we believing God in the middle of it. I mean, who like Mordecai is asking you to step into the noose of the neck and risk it for everything and trust God? Yeah. Esther is a picture of Jesus. Yes. You know, she interceded for her people and risked her life to save them. You know, <clears throat> my oldest daughter, Erin, 
uh, ask me who our first podcast was going to be about. When I told her it was Esther, she said, Mom, be sure, be sure and include the fact that Esther went before the king fearing for her life. Yes. But now because of Jesus, we go before God anytime without fear at all. There you go, right there. Oh, it's, it's the this, gospel. Yes. Okay. I, I've got to, I've got to read a verse. Yes. Um, th- it's, it's Hebrews. It's Hebrews four sixteen, that, um, that tells us, you know, Jesus is the forerunner who came into the presence of God with his own blood, um, and made it so that you and I can boldly enter God's presence. Um, it says in verse 16 of Hebrews four, let us then fearlessly and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that, you know, it literally means grace, grace to help in good time, yeah. meaning it comes in the nick of time. It comes, the grace comes when you need it. The future grace. Future grace yeah. for every day. So Jesus Christ is the ultimate Esther, and he interceded for his people. But, but here's the difference. Yes, big difference. He did perish. He perished. To buy this for us. He perished. Yeah. Yes. Um, I hope you ladies uh, will find this interesting. Um, We discovered that Persia is the nation that created execution by crucifixion. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that until we did this research. Uh, Like Nan just said, Jesus did die on that cross, on that hill. And the parallels for us with Esther's story and Christ are just staggering. Yeah, they are. It's fascinating. So, okay, so you're saying this is my hour? Yeah, this is our hour. This is your hour, dear yeah. listeners. Um, like Esther, we can walk through these days, these strange days, yeah. with confidence in Him, without fear, without living as a victim of our circumstances. Esther could have chosen to live her life as a victim. Oh, yeah. She could have totally defaulted to that. Mm-hmm. And I would understand But the story we have of Esther shows us one dramatic moment in which she stepped forward in a very public way and was obedient to God. Uh, You know, her her situation is unique. She received national recognition for her actions in an empire of 50 million people. 50 million. But, Bon, most of us will never be asked to do something like that. We find ourselves stepping forward in other ways, but most of ours are quiet and unseen. Yeah. But we will all have Esther moments that call for courage. Absolutely, I can say I can say with much confidence, I will never be in a beauty contest. <laughs> you know, Bon. In twelve months in a, in a spa treatment well, for it. <laughs> well, the spa treatments sound really great to me. Well, I don't know. But none of the none of the rest of yeah. it. But you know, I was thinking back when you were talking a moment ago. Years ago, uh, Wayne and I and my parents uh, went on a trip together to San Francisco. And just for fun, and this was pre-kids for us, and we went to this restaurant that was in an old house, and it had this beautiful, big, old stone fireplace that you could walk into. It was one of those tall ones. Oh, yes, yes. But it had inscribed in calligraphy in the stone, uh, uh, like in the on the mantle, uh, at the top of the fireplace, it said, Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered. Mm. No one was there. Wow. It just makes me think of the wow. two little girls we listened to at the top, Faith yeah. and Fear. Fear's knocking at the door. Fear is knocking at the door. When, But Faith answers, faith. and no one's there. And no one's there. Isn't Whoa, that cool? I love that. I do too. I love that. Well, we, we had this moment in Women Who Dared to Believe in our musical about Esther. 
Um, we'd like to read a little bit of it for you. We like in the musical, we like to imagine what it would have been like if different women from the Bible intersected in certain moments in their in their journey, you know, from different historical eras. So we liked to wonder what Deborah, Judge Deborah, would have been like if she had met Esther as Esther was going in before the king and Deborah was going to war. So <laughs> this is kind of what we what we Okay, I'm playing to. Deborah and you're Esther, Esther, right? Yeah. Okay. So what are you all dressed up for? I'm going to meet the king. Uh, you don't look so happy about it. He doesn't know I'm coming. Oh. It's it's a long story. My parents were killed when I was young, and I was raised by my cousin. My life was going along just fine until the queen ticked off the king and he kicked her out. Then he held a beauty contest, and I won. Now I'm the—no, you might think that's a good thing. But the king's right-hand man wants to slaughter my people, and the king has agreed to it. I'm on my way in now to beg him to spare my people. And if you go into the king and he hasn't asked for you, it could be like— He hasn't asked for me in over a month. He's got all these concubines, too. It's very complicated. Oh, are you nervous? No, I'm terrified. But my cousin Mordecai says, now is the time. God has picked me for the job. Me, a woman. God messed up when he chose me. He could have picked someone else. Hey, did you ever think the hardest thing you have to face could end up being your finest hour? You don't have to be strong, just willing. Who are you? I'm a working mom. Who are you? I'm an orphan. (laughs) Remember, you wear the crown. It fits. (laughs) More than you know. (laughs) Ah, sweet moment. Yeah. And this is one of the songs that we had Deborah and Esther sing together. We hope you enjoy this. I see I am not alone standing in this place. Now I see you heard every prayer, blessed each step of faith. I believe your mercy covers me no matter.
And I just wanted to add, don't be afraid to really dive into the Word because God will meet you wherever you are there, and He loves you, and He's with you. I think some people are afraid or live in fear of actually getting into the Word, but God will meet you there. Um, I'm going to read Isaiah 41.10. This verse has meant so much to me in the past six months or so. I've just been saying it almost every day. Um, But this is what God promises to us. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's the truth. Um, Our prayer for you and and for ourselves is that we will, like Esther, preach a little Esther to our souls that we will step into the noose of the moments that, that seem impossible, that require a lot of courage, that we will strengthen our faith muscles in who we are, our identities in God will be the most important thing to us, and wherever He calls us each day to stand on whatever small hill or large hill that requires us to really trust Him, we will do what Esther did and say, here I am, use this moment This is my hour. So we pray that Esther strengthens you today, the story of Esther, and that you you find the courage of Christ in what he did in her reflection and her reflecting him. Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on our maiden voyage (laughs) of the Women Who Dare to Believe podcast. Please join us for our next podcast when we explore the life of Deborah, a working mom and a multitasking judge of Israel. We want to thank some special people whose help made this podcast possible. Thank you, James Hollihan, the brilliant producer of our musical. And thank you, Michelle Marciata, the editor and producer of this podcast. And thank you, Wayne Gurley, for helping us from the very beginning to make this dream a reality. And thank you to the best audience anywhere, women who dare to believe. 